We're over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 17 still. We began uh, two weeks ago when we last picked this up with the helmet of salvation, covering all the different parts of the armor that Paul gives us here. As we're talking about the helmet of salvation, it was a, a helmet is a thing of identification. We, talk, we took up that word take and how that take was different from the take we saw before and how this one was one that as you're going into this part of the battle, you begin to take these things up. It's not something that's necessarily on you all the time, but you take these things on and get ready for this aspect of the battle. So first off, we're going in here. We got our helmet on. We have the salvation, which is different from any other religion because it's not dependent on anything we do. It's dependent on what he does. And what has done, what he has done. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're going to break down this sword here first and then look at how it's been used. The sword, sword, comes from the Greek word meaning short sword. It specifically talked about a Roman sword, and, and a lot of times we think of these swords and we think of the big long ones, you know, the double edged ones, and they, they got the big sword fight going on, you know, the battles that they have in the movies, and they choreograph the whole thing, and they're all going through there and slashing and slicing and stuff like that. But that is not this sword. This particular sword is a short sword. It is not the long slashing type. It is a it is a dagger type of a sword. It's long enough to it's it's not something you really go about like uh, a normal sword fight you would motions. You just uh, get near the enemy and stab straight ahead. The idea of the sword is to be sharp at the tip and sharp on the sides and that it would make penetration into the enemy and then they would sometimes even twist it on the way out. They were sometimes corkscrewed just slightly at the tip so that when they went in and came back out, they caused even more damage. Generally, one stab with this sword would finish off your enemy. And that was the goal of this sword. It was not to engage the enemy in combat. It was to get rid of the enemy. And that was their idea with this particular sword. So it was a small sword. It's not one of the slashing ones. And apparently it was a very effective one in, in stopping the enemy. They actually had a number of different swords. And if you look up their short sword, you'll see a number of things that, are, that come up there about it. Uh, I didn't want to break it all down because there's actually quite a few. And maybe if Paul had one particular one in mind, I'm not sure. But the idea of the short sword is, is the same. It's a stabbing motion. It's not the uh, sword fighting type of ones. They did have swords for that, but this is not uh, in particular what that one was for. So, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So, this particular sword is related to the Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit is behind the power of the sword. It's not what we have memorized, but what the Spirit gives to us. It's not the things that we have in our head. It's the things that the Spirit gives to our, to our spirit. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this part has confused some. The word here for word is not logos. It is rhema, which means spoken word. Logos is the written word. Rhema is the spoken word. Two very distinct meanings in the Word of God. The logos is the written word that we carry with us. But the rhema is the spoken word of God. Either something that God spoke out of his mouth to do something, something God spoke to us. So he's referring to the word that God speaks, not just what is written. It is not the logos. So this is the breakdown of the, of the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So how is this particular sword used? Our most common place to look for this is over in Matthew chapter 4. So we're going to start there in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness and to be tempted by the devil. 
And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, who is the enemy? He said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hand they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, of all these things, these are temptations. We've talked about the temptations. Not really here to talk about all the different temptations that are going on here. We're looking at how Jesus combated the enemy in this. Now, each of the times, the first time, verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then when he said the second one, Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he says the third one, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, when we read this over and it's very uh, obvious that this is the sort of the spirit that's being used, we very often, even though we don't necessarily want to necessarily, we don't necessarily want to do this, but we're, we're doing it. We associate the sword of the spirit with the Lagos of God. Because this is how Jesus is using it in this passage. Each time it is written, it is written, it is written. Each time that Jesus combated the enemy, it is written. And we lose focus of what the sword is. Thereby taking away from its effectiveness. It is not the sword of the Spirit, which is the Lagos of God. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Rhema of God, the spoken word. It is the sword of the spirit. What part of the Godhead is associated with the Lagos word? The son, Jesus, is associated with the Lagos word. So what part is associated with the spoken word? The Holy Spirit. It is not the sword of Jesus. It is the sword of the spirit. So he's given us two accounts here that proved to us that this word, that this, this sword is not of the Lagos. It is not of the written word. It is of the spoken word. So how do we coordinate that with the fact that Jesus uses the written word? In each time, all three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the answer is extremely easy. It is not hard to see this. But before we get into the answer of why Jesus used it this way, we're going to go and look at some other situations where the sword of the Spirit was used. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What has Jesus done in this situation? He has identified an attack of the enemy, hasn't he? 
and he's bypassing Peter and speaking to the enemy. This is a temptation by the enemy, is it not? Is it any less or more of a temptation than what we saw before? And when Jesus left the wilderness, didn't it say that the devil left him to come at a more opportune time? So that was not going to be the only time. So we would need to see that Jesus would fight the enemy again. Now look at what he says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Where is that written? I'll tell you exactly where it's written. Matthew 16, verse 23. <laughs> it's not written, though, until then, is it? He is not quoting Scripture. He is using the sword of the Spirit. But he is not quoting Scripture. Hmm. Matthew 26, verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? Why, what is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. Then the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I said, say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now all through this, the enemy is attacking. This is not... I mean, Jesus is going to the cross. This is not the enemy. This is bypassing just men. This is the enemy. This is Satan trying to take down Jesus. And the whole time we have all these false accusations comes and what does Jesus say? Nothing. And he frustrates them. And he said in, the first, in verse 62, And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? Why did Jesus answer nothing? Because the Spirit gave him nothing to say. Now, the prophecies are that the, that, the, that the Christ would come to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter. Silently. And he did that. He did say this one thing. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of, of heaven. Now, we saw this. It is... As you said other times, Jesus has used that phrase another time. What about when the soldiers came? I didn't put this one in there for you. But what about when the soldiers came to the garden to get Jesus? Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. I am he. What happens? I'll fall over. <laughs> Would that sound like a sword? Was it verse? Logos word. Was it Lagos word here? So we have one instance where Jesus used the Lagos word and several instances where he did not. How about when the Pharisees would come and question him, try and trap him? Did he use a Lagos word? He didn't do it, did he? No. But constantly we see whenever they came up against Jesus that the Spirit would tell him what was in their thoughts. And then what would Jesus do? And Jesus, how many times does it say this? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, answered and said. How many times have we read that phrase in Scripture? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, they didn't say it. How does he know it? Through the Spirit. Answered and said. What did he answer? What the Spirit said to say about what they thought. It is the sword of the Spirit. Not the sword of the Lagos. It is the sword of the Spirit. Not the sword of the Son. It is the sword 
of the Spirit. So most of the time, and you can keep on going through once you begin to change your thinking. You can keep going through and begin to see times when Jesus heard from the Spirit and spoke it out. It had power. It knocked people over. It changed situations. It disarmed the enemy. One time the Pharisees came and Jesus asked them a question. Was that something that was written down? No. How about when they brought someone to trap him and they brought the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? And what did Jesus do? He began writing in the sand. Why did he do that? Because the Spirit told him to write in the sand. And what happened to the enemies playing the king? Nothing happened, did it? How about when Lazarus was dying and Jesus stayed there for four days? Why did he do it? Because the Spirit told him to. And the Spirit told him what to do. And he gets on out there to the, to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth and now they can't kill him. <laughs> Disarmed the enemy. Constantly we see Jesus get into situations and disarm the enemy by what he says and what he says comes by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit can quicken the word of God, the Lagos word, the written word to you, but he can also quicken another word to you, a question, a statement. But we've got to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say, not our mind. Too often we are going through with our mind to come up with what's the right scripture. What's the, well, what's the scripture that I can use to really knock the enemy off? Of well, what the right scripture is or what the right word is is what the Holy Spirit says to say. So we listen to what the Holy Spirit says. See, too often we have enemies, enemies come as Jesus saw with Peter. The enemy had taken Peter and was using him. And, and we see that happening and we're trying to club him over the head with scriptures. We don't need to club people over the head with scriptures. We need to know what the Spirit of God says because constantly when Jesus opened his mouth and said what the Spirit of God gave him to say, the whole situation changed. And the Spirit may give you a scripture to say or he may give you a question to ask or he may give you a thing to rebuke. But you listen to the Spirit because what the Spirit says is what will be effective. Now see, the idea of the Roman short sword was to maneuver itself in such a way to get around the armor of the enemy. This, the big slashing swords, the armor was, was ready for those. It's the small little ones that they had a harder time dealing with. Because you could take that small little one and you're not going in a big sweeping motion. You're going right for that spot. And sh right in. Enemy's done. Fast, quick. And Jesus constantly uses this. It's fast, it's quick. It's, it's short order. It's over. Eventually, the Pharisees said, you know what? We're not going to ask them any more questions. <laughs> Man, we're tired of getting stabbed here. Let's go on to some other ones. How about Abraham? When he came to Canaan and there was a famine, the Lord, the, God spoke to, to Abraham and said, I want you to go over to a land I will show you. And he came there and found famine, so he left. What should he have done? Listened to the Spirit and spoke the words that the Spirit of God gave him. But instead, he said, man, we'll starve here and left. That wasn't a good idea, was it? Then he went on down to Egypt and on the way down, the thought comes to him, they will kill you because of your wife. Now, here's the, that's the attack of the enemy, right? Put the thought in your head. 
And so he begins to meditate on that thought instead of listening to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God would say, what did God promise you? That all nations will be blessed through me? Do you have a child yet? Not yet. I guess you can't die yet, can you? I guess not. And he could just simply speak out. I can't die yet. I haven't had a child. Would that be speaking the Logos word or the Rhema word? It's not written anywhere. But the Spirit of God could certainly tell him that. Now, Abraham was not in a spot where he was going to believe that at that point. And wouldn't have spoken it, but surely he could have. Heaven in Genesis 22, verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. What is it that he spoke? Were not these words prophetic? Did he speak them of himself? No. He spoke what the Spirit of God put down in his, in, inside of him for that situation. That's a different Abraham than we saw before who went down to the land of Egypt. This is a different Abraham. This one listened to the Spirit of God and spoke out those words. They were so powerful that they got recorded and written down. We still read them today. Thousands of years later, we still read them. Have a Paul in Acts chapter 16. Now what happened as he went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now this is going on for a number of days. But Paul didn't speak out of his head. But when the Spirit of God quickened him and the Spirit of God told him what to say, he turned around and spoke it. And immediately the Spirit went. Now that caused some trouble. <laughs> but out of it, good things were born. We've got to speak what the Spirit of God says. We've got to listen, though, to what the Spirit of God says. Too, too often... We, we, we process everything in our heads. And we say the same things over and over again. Because that's what, we're, that's, what we're, that's what I've always said. Whenever I'm in this situation, I always say this. I always confess this scripture. Why do you confess this? Well, that's what I always do. It's a good scripture. Yes, this is a good scripture. But it's what you need. The thing that made Jesus' words so powerful is that they were unexpected. How many times did he hit the enemy with something that the enemy did not expect? The Pharisees weren't expecting a man to crouch down on the ground and write things in the sand that would convict them and make them leave. Never foresaw that. Never, never dawned on them that that would happen. They kept concocting questions. Never thought that this guy could ask them questions they couldn't answer. Satan may have thought, surely I can get to Jesus through someone as close to him as Peter. He found out, nope, I can't do that either. <laughs> Jesus will rebuke his own friend if he senses the enemy because he'll speak out of the Spirit. The Pharisees had to be thinking after a while being around Jesus, we can't even get near him. He knows what we're thinking. He answers questions we never say. We just think them. 
That has, that has got to be tough. When Samuel was helping the army of Israel, he would tell them, don't go over here today because uh, there's a trap for you over here. And they would not go over there and so the trap would not come to anything. And the next day, you know, well, don't go over here. And the king would listen and they wouldn't go over here and they would not do this. And pretty soon the king of Syria got frustrated. All right, who's our traitor? Who's the guy among us that's betraying? Uh, it's not us. There's a prophet over there who tells you what you think in your bedroom. We need to get him. How did he know all those things? It's not the Lagos written word, is it? It's the spoken word. Samuel was able to listen to what the Spirit of God said and then spoke out what the Spirit of God said. People acted on it and people's lives were saved. They were saved. Elijah stood up on a rock and people came to kill him, came to get him, carry him off. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and burn you up. Who told him to say that? When had anyone in history ever called down fire to burn people up? Now, he, we had it happen in history where God called it down. But when did man ever call down fire to burn anybody up? Well, Elijah got it from the Spirit. He didn't sit there and say, well, I don't know if we can do that. He just said, call down fire. Okay. <laughs> call down fire. Two times he did it. What about when the prophet of God met up with a dead man, dead boy? No one had ever gone into a dead person and raised him up from life that we have recorded in Scripture. And yet he went in there and did it. Why? Because the Spirit of God said, the enemy has come to attack in this way, but you go in there and you do this. You go in there and you take care of it this way. When Elisha came and they had the poisonous stew, Master, there's poison in the stew. We're going to die. There's death in the pot. And he said, well, let's just do this. And so they, it made no sense what he did. Now go ahead and eat it. <laughs> There's poison in there. And now because what you did, <laughs> I'm supposed to go ahead and eat it. How about when the woman was facing poverty situation? Her husband died. She was one of the prophets. He was one of the prophets. And the prophets spoke to her and said, Go into your room, go in your house, collect all the jars and containers you can from all your neighbors. And when you've got all that you can get, I want you to go in there and, and close the door and take that little bit of oil you got and you begin to fill up all the pots. How did he know to do that? It is the rhema word of God. The Spirit of God spoke to him and he spoke it. And when it was acted upon, there was, there was success. There were things that were changed. Yeah, but when the axe head, something as simple as the axe head, fell into the water. Well, let's take a branch and throw it in. Yeah, that works. I've seen that happen before. <laughs> and the thing floats up. When Jesus came to the one at Cana, mom comes up and says, they need, they need help. What have I to do with you, woman? And so she goes away from there and says, do whatever he says to do. And then he heard from the Spirit of God and spoke what the Spirit said and changed the situation. If the sword of the Spirit could work in something like that, how much more for the things that we have? Heaven, when the man was lowered down from the ceiling, what would you think the Spirit of God would be saying to say? <laughs> you are healed. But what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. 
Why does he say that? Cause trouble? Because the Spirit said to say it. And he did it. The sword of the Spirit is of the Spirit. It is the rhema word. It is spoken to us by the Spirit. It may sometimes be the written word to confess or to say. And it may sometimes be something we just speak to our situation. We could be facing a situation and all of a sudden up in our spirit rises up. This will be this way. This will change and just comes up on the inside of us and we speak it out. It is not a sword of the spirit until you speak it. But when the Spirit of God gives you words to say and you say them, it changes. All these situations we gave you, every single one, it involved the person who heard from the Spirit to speak it. They all had to speak it. You've got to hear what the Spirit of God has to say and then you've got to speak it. When we do that, we change things. We can also go the other way. We can go like Israel did. If you see a situation, we complain and we murmur about it. That doesn't change anything. No, we get into a situation, we see what's going on. But then we listen to the Spirit of God. What does the Spirit of God say that I am to do in this situation? And the Spirit of God says, don't you be worried or concerned. Just go on. Yes, sir. Speak this. Call for this. Remember that scripture over here? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. More witnessing to people? Speaking to them? The Spirit of God will help us out. Didn't that happen with Jesus at the, with the woman at the well? Mm-hmm. Didn't he speak what the Spirit of God said to say? And did that not change that situation? Now, the sword was not directed against her. It was directed against the bondage that the enemy had her in. And when he spoke those things... The bondage that she was in was released. She and her whole household were saved. And a whole lot of other people, bondages, were shaken. Because we've got to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. So we're going to, we, I mean, there are situations where we can start learning how to use this sword. When, when the Romans were training, they, they learned how to use the sword. They had one, actually, that they would use. It was a double-handed sword, and they really just used that for practice to get used to swinging the big one so that you can use the little one easier. Strengthen your muscles, get you all strong with that. But they would practice with the sword. Well, there's situations that we come up against, and we can practice with the sword. Sometimes our flesh wants to come up and have us say things. How many of y'all know that works out real well? We say some things, we're aggravated, we're angry, we're irritated, and we speak out of that irritation. We speak out of that anger. How'd that work for us? Did it make the situation worse? We didn't use the sword of the Spirit. But there was a situation where we could practice. I can rely on the Holy Spirit to give me words in this because if I can hear Him for those little things, how much more will I have confidence when He speaks to me about situations, about financial situations, about health situations? about things on that. When the Spirit of God comes up on the inside of me, when I hear something about my health proclaimed over me, and the Spirit of God comes up on the inside of me, and I declare something completely different, not born of what I wish, but born of what the Spirit of God said. You shall not die. You shall not, whatever. 
and we speak that thing out. That won't happen. Nope, it's not going that way. And I, I spoke it born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God came up in me. He quickened some Scripture. He's, he uh, told me about His plan. And I spoke those things out. That's a sword. It's a direct dagger into the enemy. And the devil would surely love us to not use it. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. If he can get you confused on those things, it's your sword. You take it up. doesn't do any good if sister or brother so-and-so takes it up. You've got to take up your own sword. You go into battle, you've got to have your own sword. It is of the Spirit, not of your head. Don't sit there and try and compute. Well, let me look up some good scriptures for this. No, listen to the Spirit of God. What's He saying to you? How is He saying that you should speak into this thing? And here's a pitfall that we can fall into as Christians. When we're in the heat of the battle, we speak out what the Spirit of God says to us. And then when we get away from the battle and we're with other believers, we talk about what we really feel. <laughs> Well, the Spirit came up to me, I shall not die or whatever it's going to be. And then we get around other people. Man, I'll tell you what, I could die. We get in that situation and we saw anger flying and the Spirit of God gave us words to speak and anger wasn't flying and it, it settled down and we come away from there and we talk about how angry we are, how hurt we are. What are we doing? I've let go of the sword. You know, we, we cringe when we think about some of these things with the enemy. You know, the Romans, they would have those swords and they would dig in and twist and pull out. They did not care about the pain they inflicted. They wanted the enemy to die. What are we doing with Satan? What are we doing with the forces of the evil? Do we, you know, strike first, strike hard when they're there? And we have the good confession, but then afterwards, well, you know, they really made me mad. I'm still mad. I don't think I'll forgive him on that. What are we doing? We're no longer speaking the rhema of God. We're speaking the rhema of our flesh. That's not going to help us out. Don't, don't negate what you said with the sword. Take up that sword. When you're in battle, fight it. And understand that just because you won that battle when you hit it, got it face on, that sometimes the devil comes through a Peter. Sometimes the devil comes through a friend who gets you to talk about, you know, don't be talking that way. I'll bet you were really scared. I'll bet you are really scared. I would be if I were... Yeah, I am. I'll bet you were really mad. Boy, I'd be mad. I don't think they should do that. No, they shouldn't do that. I don't have that right. They don't have the right to do that to me. See, we, friends can come along like the Peters and we don't, get, we don't get up there and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What do we say? Yeah, I am. We kind of identify with that. What are we doing? We're putting away the sword. The sword comes out whenever the enemy shows his face. Whether it be through foes or whether it be through friends. The sword is there. Now, what, do you, what should you say in that friendship situation? Now, see, you've got to be careful. Don't go back on a logos. Listen to the Spirit of God. Now, we see how harshly that Jesus dealt with Peter. How softly did he deal with Thomas? I, I, I think Thomas deserved a little more kick in the pants than, than uh, Peter did. 
But he didn't get it, did he? <laughs> Jesus was a lot easier with Thomas than he was with Peter. Why? Spirit said, no, just, do, just say this. Just say it this way. Jesus didn't say, sit, sit there and say, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I told him not to do this and he did it anyway. He didn't do that. The power of the sword of the Spirit is that we listen to what the Spirit has to say. That it is what the Spirit has to say, not our flesh. And then we speak it out. And we stay consistent with it. And whenever we're approaching that situation, we say what the Spirit says. And understand that sometimes the Spirit says nothing. Which means, what do you say? <laughs> nothing. That's why I brought up that one with Jesus when he's being accused. And Jesus just sat there and said nothing. When the woman was brought, who was accused, the Word of God specifically says he didn't say a word. Just wrote in the sand. Didn't say a word until everybody had gone away and he stood up and he said, Woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. How effective was that? See, we don't, we don't have to be geniuses. We just got to listen. Because sometimes what the Spirit of God has to say is strong. And sometimes it's mild. But it's always right. It's always effective. Because the Spirit knows our heart, knows their heart, knows the situation, knows what came against them. He knows all those things. Just listen to the Spirit of God. And speaking that. Brother Hagin used to tell us a story of a, a group of ministers he was with. And there was one particular minister, and uh, I don't remember all the details of it, but somehow they had done something that was... Uh, a appeared to everyone to be very wrong. I never knew what it was. He never said what the situation was, never said who it was or what they had done. Just basically said that there was this minister who had done something and it was pretty, pretty much wrong. And someone, while they were in this group, they said to Brother Hagin, what do you think about Brother so-and-so? What they, what they did. And he answered them in such a way as to not necessarily put judgment upon them, but just that he agreed with the judgment that had been passed on by him. That was about all he said. Well, yeah, I guess that was kind of right what they, what they did there. And that was it. And he went on home. And uh, the Lord Jesus spoke up to him. Heard an audible voice. He just, you know, turned around. One of those times when Brother Hagin would tell us, he turned around to see who was talking to him. And it was something along this, this line. He says, For what have, you to do, what have you to do with judging another man's servant? <laughs> And they had quite a discussion. I don't know if you ever heard that story. Him, him telling it. When he tells it. It's quite a discussion. It's, it's, it's quite a going. Say, I didn't judge him. I, I just talked about what so and so had said. And the, the spirit of God just came the same way. For what have you to do with judging another man's servant? I think it was three times that the spirit of God spoke that to him. And in the end result, I don't remember all the all the ins and outs about the story. But in the end, God says, "You don't know what pressure he was up against." You don't know what he faced. And you also don't know if you wouldn't have done worse than he did. So, you know, Brother Hagin, he straightened right up. <laughs> yes, sir. And he didn't, he didn't uh, pass judgment on him or anyone else like that again. He let that one, that one go. And he said, sure enough, this brother came out of it, came out of it fine. 
and went on, had a wonderful ministry, and God did many things through. And um, that's, we just got to be careful about some of those things. Because what we are saying with our mouth is a sword. Now, is it the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God, or is it the sword of the flesh? What's it of? Because it's going to be a sword. Doesn't the Word of God equate the tongue with a sword? It's going to be a sword. Doesn't the Revelation talk about the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth? What we say is going to be a sword. But whose sword is it going to be? Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. In order for that to work, we've got to become more effective at hearing what he has to say. You can practice this in your prayer time. When you get in there in prayer time, speak the things that the Spirit of God is saying. When you start off in your day, are you just speaking the things that are generally good confessions? Or are you listening to what the Spirit of God has to say but that you should speak for your day? And when you hear it, speak it. And then stay consistent with it all day long. If anybody questions you on that particular aspect, say what the sword of the Spirit said. You can practice this on Sunday mornings when you come in here for church and jump into the prayer room. Say what the Spirit of God has to say, not what we know should make up a good service. Well, Father God, I pray that this goes on and that this goes on and that this goes on. What's the Spirit of God saying for today? I don't know. Too busy talking. <laughs> That's happened too many times, folks, in our prayer time. We're too busy talking to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. One thing we will see is a common theme in the Word of God. It's with Jesus. It's with the prophets. It's with Paul. When the most powerful things they ever said were short. They are short. And we're exhorted in the New Testament. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effective. Effective doesn't mean long. Effective usually means short. If it takes a long time to do something, it's generally not been effective. If it's short, it's effective. We don't have to be in prayer a long time. We just got to find out what is it that God is saying. Speak that thing out. And then go on from that point on. And any time that, that situation is questioned, always speak what the Spirit of God said to us. Speak words that are consistent with what the Spirit of God said to us. And we'll see things change. We're taking up the helmet, we're taking up the sword. These are the things we go into battle with. These are the things that we change. We declare, I am a servant of God. I am one of those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I speak the things that the Spirit of God puts in me. I speak them boldly. And if He doesn't speak, I don't speak to a situation either. I wait to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. People want to know what your opinion is on brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Wait until the Spirit of God tells you something. And then find out from him if you ought to say it. Because <laughs> remember, it's his servant. I love that story, Brother Hagin told if I can find it written anywhere. I know I've heard it on a few of his tapes that he's done. And um, we, were just, we were just listening to it not too long ago. I think if, you, if any of you got those ones, um, oh, um, the, the most important message you'll ever hear, if you got that CD, we had it on the table a, long t- a number of, uh, some time ago. If you have that one, maybe you picked that up. I think it was on there. I think it's where he talks, talks about it. Getting back to the outline here. When confronting the enemy, our goal is not to just speak the Lagos word we know, 
but the rhema word spoken to us. When confronting the enemy, our goal is not to just speak the Lagos word we know, but the rhema word spoken to us. That's what's effective. That is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what's going to change our situation. It's not the Lagos. It's the Spirit. It's what He tells us. Sometimes, He will tell us something that is written. And what is written is what exactly we need to do, just as Jesus did. But that's not the only time that Jesus ever used the sword of the Spirit. Nor is it the only time other people used it. Those are the ones we need to be looking at. And understanding all of it. Father God, we thank you for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Rhema of God, that you, by your Spirit, speak to us. And we take those words that you speak to us and we speak them out. And we change our situations. If He doesn't speak to us, we don't need to speak to the situation either. We wait until we hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And then we speak those things. And then we make sure that from that point on, whenever the enemy confronts us in ways that we can see him and ways we may not, through friends, through foes, however he shows up, we always speak that rhema word. We always speak things inconsistent with that rhema word. Things that are, are right in line with it. We won't counteract it. We won't use, use wording that undermines it. We will stay consistent. We thank you for the help that you give us on it. In the name of Jesus.